mind of man cannot conceive the preparation that's been done we speak in terms we understand to uncover the glory there but soon with eyes that clearly see we'll know how words have failed not the has been told, just the half. Can you imagine that, what heaven's going to be like? I mean, it's hard to even fathom. We can't even hardly wrap our minds around it. Well, we can't. We can't even fathom it, can we? But boy, what an amazing, amazing thought, and boy, what a reality heaven is, and we certainly thank the Lord for that. Well, let's go ahead and turn our Bibles again to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 6. Just take a look at a couple verses again. We'll kind of fly right on through some of this, and we're going to get to the basically the last one of this question. Okay, again, uh, the question that we've been asking for a while has been pretty simple. What things can I do to overcome sin? And we're going to look at that real quick, but let's just take a moment to kind of get some things in order here and maybe just, uh, uh, you know, move along here in our uh, summary, if you will. 
the book of Romans, chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, beginning verse 6. We're just going to read a couple of verses there, all right? So, it says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. And what a blessing it is, as we've noted over and over again over through the course of this particular series, that, uh, boy, I tell you what, as believers today, the Bible says our old man is crucified. And that's a, a wonderful reality. That's a truth. And yet, on the other hand, in Romans chapter 6, just a few verses down the road here, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And so on the one hand, we note and recognize the fact that the old man's been crucified, while on the other hand, we have to be diligent in resisting the flesh. And we have to purposefully yield our members or our body parts to Jesus Christ as instruments of righteousness. So there's that warfare, as we'll note here again, even tonight as we discuss the issue we're going to look at. But there's a battle that takes place there. And we said, now listen, how in the world are we going to overcome sin in our life? How are we going to get victory over sin? And let's be honest, it's a battle that we face on a regular, consistent basis. And the very moment that we believe we've whooped it, the very moment we believe somehow that we've figured it all out, that's when we really recognize the fact that we missed the mark completely. But I'll tell you what, the day that we think that we got it figured all out is the day that it's time to get back in the Word of God and realize the reality of things. We, we, we're really struggling. We got real problems. We better humble ourselves a little bit because that sin's always waiting around and lurking around the corner. And Satan's there to trip us up on a regular basis. We have to be strong in the Lord, not ourselves. We start thinking, we got to figure it out. we got a problem. We better realize he's the only one that's got the answer and the only one that has the solution. But we've been dealing with sin. That's been our series. And we asked the question, what things can I do to overcome sin? We said, well, first of all, you need to accept responsibility for your sin. And again, we touched on that. We talked about that quite a bit. But it's important that we do take responsibility for our sin. Number two, we said, don't allow sinful thoughts to control your mind. And boy, I'll tell you what, what we think about is so important and so, so, so crucial in overcoming sin in our life and being victorious over sin in our life. So we have to be so careful. We know that some things have to be cast down. Some things have to be corralled in our minds and some have to just simply be corrected. And so we have to be very careful what we allow up here. Number three, we said, don't make provision for the flesh. Don't do that. Don't allow it to be easy easier than it has to be. Don't, don't make it more difficult for yourself to overcome sin than it has to be too. Don't put the wrong things in front of your eyes. Don't, don't allow the wrong things into your ear gate. Don't allow the wrong things into your mind because if you do that, you're only going to make things tougher. So we said, listen, you need to resist. And the Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. We also said, not only that, but we need to flee. There are situations and times where we just need to get out of Dodge. We got to make tracks. We can't hang around any longer. But even better than resisting, even better than fleeing, we said, is to avoid. There's some things we just need to avoid. And in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 14, we noted, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fill the lust thereof. So no, don't make provision for the flesh. Don't make it easy. Man, I mean to tell you, if you've got a problem with drinking alcohol, you don't leave a bottle in the refrigerator, or you don't put one up in the cupboard. 
You know, you say, well, man, I'm really struggling. I just got a real hankering for some beer every once in a while. Well, don't put it in the fridge. And don't put it out in the garage. Man, don't have it around the house. I mean, you're just making it easier to do wrong. Well, I'm having a problem with what I'm listening to. Well, then don't have it there. Someone says, well, that ain't how you deal with it. You got to get your heart fixed. Yeah, but it'll sure help if you're not thinking about it all the time and wondering about, oh, I got this right down the, right there in the other room. Let me just stop on over there. Man, I'll tell you what, you need to avoid some things. You need to put yourself, uh, put a little cushion between you and your sin. You can't allow it just to be right up in your face or it's never going to be something that's going to be easy to get over for sure. It's hard enough already. Number four, realize that you're dead to sin in Jesus Christ and that dead men, well, they just don't sin. There's no dead people sinning today, okay? At least not in this life, okay? All right? Now, maybe, uh, well, I don't want to go into that. But anyway, the fact is, is that nobody that, that's in a graveyard today, you, got, you don't have to worry about any of them sinning today, all right? You don't have to. Because, but, but the Bible tells us that we're dead in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we have to reckon ourselves to be dead also unto sin, that we ourselves have to rem- be reminded constantly and continually to live in the light of that truth. And that's kind of where we talked about that aspect of faith and, uh, excuse me, of, of fact. And then our faith follows fact. And then behind our faith is our, are our feelings. And we can't allow our feelings to dictate the facts. No, we have to let faith follow fact. The moment we turn and, uh, you know, make our faith dependent on our feelings, we fall to pieces. We got problems. We have to look at the facts and follow the facts. And the facts are found in the Word of God. And the Word of God is true. And we can believe that book, the Word of God. And we can follow that book, the Word of God. And we can get victorious uh, victory in our lives in the Word of God. And so we noted that reality and we talked about that. Not only that, but we also said if we're going to overcome sin, we said, number five, judge yourselves in sin. Well, I'll tell you what, better to judge ourselves than to have to have the Lord do it. Better to have him, uh, better to, in a sense, corral our own activity than to turn around and have to be chastened by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we said, judge yourselves in sin. And then also we turned around and said, well, confess your sins to God. You say, that's a simple one. That's stupid. You mean to tell me you got to tell me that? Well, sometimes I do think that we get to the point where we believe what we're doing is not really that bad. I do. I'm convinced that sometimes our, our lives, we, we, we get in such a rut with things and we've grown up believing that there's nothing wrong with this. I mean, it's kind of like certain terms and certain words you grow up learning in your home and then you get to become a Christian and you realize, man, that's not what I should be saying. And as believers, if we're not careful, we can start to fall into the trap of thinking, well, my mindset or the way I view things or the way I think or the way I feel, that's certainly supported by God and Scripture. I mean, I don't have to confess that. Everybody struggles with that. Everybody's got a problem with how they think. Everybody has somebody they don't like. Everybody hates somebody. And it's not that big a deal. I'm not going to confess that. That'd be stupid because everybody deals with that. Well, it's still a sin. And so, you know what, if we're going to get victory over our sin, we have to confess them, confess them to God. I don't care how little, how big, how insignificant someone else may believe them to be. The fact is that if they're sin, then in God's eyes, it's a pretty big problem. And you and I need to settle that, deal with it, and face it. And we do that by confessing it. And then, number seven, we said we have to hide God's word in our heart to battle sin. And, you know, we just recently discussed that, so we don't have to spend a lot of time in it. But we said there's some things about the Word of God you just have to mine out. You've got to dig in deep. You're going to have to look for those golden nuggets. And God will bless you as you dig into the Word of God. And so we said you need to mine the Word. Not mind it, but mine it. M-I-N-E. And then number two, we said you have to meditate on it. 
And you've got to let it just saturate your mind. You've got to be thinking about it consistently. You need to take it then ultimately and memorize it. Boy, I tell you what, commit it to memory and have it in a place where you can use it at any given moment when temptation comes your way. And then finally, last week we talked about this one. We said you need to trust God's promises and allow them to motivate you, cleanse you, and fight your battles for you. And so that's kind of where we ended. And, and uh, tonight we want to begin on this last one under this particular issue. What things can I do to overcome sin? Number nine, here it is. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about a lot of practical things, a lot of things that make sense to us and are understandable from a very, you know, just um, day-to-day aspect. But this aspect, this one right here, is really key. It's very important. It's essential. It's absolutely necessary. Turn, if you would, to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Now, every believer ought to be concerned about sin in their life. And, and, you know, I'll be honest with you, in my lifetime, there have been times in my life where I wasn't nearly as concerned about sin as I am at other times. Well, I've become a little cold and indifferent and insensitive to sin in my life. As I said, maybe we've even become, in a sense, at, at times justifying our sin. And so as a result of that, we struggle. But may I say as a believer, the truth is, is that we should always be concerned and troubled by our sin. And it ought to be something that we ought to be seeking to have victory over, not just simply learn how to live with it. Notice in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, This I say then. And, of course, the Apostle Paul here is talking to the church at Galatia, and he says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, and ye are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Well, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer real quick. We don't have long tonight, but for what little time we do have, let's try to figure this out a little bit so that we can overcome sin in our lives. Father, we come to you. Bless us, we need you. Lord, it won't be a mere man that can make a difference today. It has to be you, the master. Lord, may you take your word and truly just drive it home in our lives. May you plant it deep and may it take root and grow in our hearts and our lives. And may you keep Satan from coming along and stealing the seed of the word of God. And Lord, we just ask tonight that once again you would show up and that, Father, you would speak to our hearts. We need you, Lord. Help us to, Father, realize how serious this is, that it is not a game. It is legitimately warfare that we face. 
Help us to have victory over our sin, to be able to overcome sin in our lives. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So here we have this particular passage. And in this passage, uh, the Apostle Paul is making a statement, really, when it's all said and done. What he's basically saying is this. We are to be like Jesus. We're to be like Jesus Christ. Throughout the book of Galatians, he's been dealing with some principles, and now he's getting very practical. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you know what, Galatians, you know, you, you folks right here, he says, now I'm going to turn your attention to the practical. I want you to understand exactly what is needed for you as a sinner to be Christ-like. And so the Apostle Paul is going to share with us the recipe, if you will. He's going to tell us uh, or reveal to us what is needed for the sinner to ultimately be Christ-like. Well, that's a good point. That's a good question. We ought, we ought to probably listen to this then. It's probably pretty important, isn't it? And so he makes a command. Right off the bat, he commands something. Right there in the very beginning, in verse 16, he makes this statement. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You want to know how to overcome the flesh? You want to know how to get victory in your life? You want to know how to be like Jesus? Then he says, you need to walk in the Spirit. That's what he says. Now again, that means that the Holy Spirit then is God's answer to the flesh. If we want the answer to how we get victory, then it's the Holy Spirit of God. He's the answer to this flesh in which we still fight and deal with. And, you know, man in sin is not what God uh, intended. I mean, a man in sin is not what God intended a man to be. It's not what God had envisioned. It's not what he had, had hoped for. He, didn't, he wanted more for mankind than that. Instead, sin ruined mankind. And before we're saved, the Bible describes us as a natural man. And that makes sense, doesn't it? You know, it's a funny thing. Even believers will say, well, you know, it's just natural to think like this. You know, it's just natural to behave like this. It's just natural to, 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 to have those thoughts and, and, and to, to feel. Yeah, it's natural. Absolutely. And then the Bible calls that the natural man. The man who is bound by the flesh, the man who walks in his flesh, even as a believer, not as a believer, but as a man that's not saved, he is bound by flesh. He's ruled by flesh. He has no control over flesh. He can't have victory over the flesh. He is simply flesh. And the Bible says he's the natural man. That's the natural thing. That's the atomic thing. The natural thing. But then also the Bible goes on and he, he talks a little bit about that natural man, again, being led or directed by the flesh. He's incapable. He's just unable, again, to know God. He's unable to fellowship with God. He's unable to understand the Word of God because he's the natural man. However, when a person accepts Christ as their personal Savior, a number of miracles take place. And one of those things is, is that that inner man is cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, that, new, that man in there is cleansed. And not only that, but here's what the Bible says. Look, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. Look at this. This is wonderful. It's a tremendous passage. But the Bible tells us he becomes a habitation of God through the Spirit. And that's an interesting statement, isn't it? 
Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. Notice he says here, In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation through the Spirit. A habitation of God through the Spirit. Again, very, very simple, but notice what he's saying. He's saying basically that God in the person of the Holy Spirit takes up permanent residency in our bodies. And, and we become the habitation of God. God literally lives in us. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? And so we become the habitation of God. He lives in us. That's an amazing truth, and it's a blessing, a blessed truth. It says, and as a result of that, that inner man is quickened, made alive. And then we see within a person that that quickening takes place, that divine regeneration takes place. And now we have that battle in our body and in our lives, I should say, in our minds. You know, we talked about that, that idea of the two natures, and you've got that old flesh and you've got the spirit, and they're just warring back and forth. And we note that. And so the believer has two natures. And, you know, the one is known as the carnal man, if you will. That, that would be representative of the carnal man, the fleshly man. You know, as a believer, you can walk in the flesh. You, you can live according to the flesh. You can allow the flesh to have control of your life. But when a believer allows the indwelling spirit of God to have control, to have his way in your life, that's known as the spiritual man according to the word of God. The word of God calls it spiritual man. So we have the natural man, unsaved man. We got the carnal man, the fleshly Christian. And we got the spiritual man is the one ultimately that is walking in the presence and should I say the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Now, in our passage... The Holy Spirit, command, his command is extremely blunt. It is very to the point. And he says, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He is saying it is either one or the other. It's, it is totally and completely up to you. Will you be that carnal man, or will you be that spiritual man? Will you be that fleshly Christian, operating and allowing the flesh to control you? The desires those innate desires of, of the atomic nature, if you will, to have control of you versus the Spirit of God, the new man, that is your decision, and it's your choice. It's my choice and my decision as well. And so the Holy Spirit draws it down. I mean, he boils it down and just says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You don't walk in the Spirit, then you'll fulfill the lust of the flesh. It is that simple. It's not complicated. The potential for living a, what, holy life now is, is in our reach. It's in our reach because of the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. It's in our reach because of the permanent residency of the Holy Spirit. Because God himself lives in us, we do have the ability to reach or to obtain to that level or to that place in our Christian life. You know, we, we often face this in a very defeated manner, don't we? Most people say things like, you know, I just can't help but sin. I'm, I've tried. I'm struggling. I've given it my best. I've done everything I know to do to overcome this sin in my life, but it continues to beat me. It continues to have victory in my life. And we kind of throw our hands in the air and we go, I tried it all. It doesn't work. 
We tried it all. Wait a second. Is the Bible true? We say, oh, yes, it is. Is God's word the word of God? Without a doubt. Well, then, if, oh, wait, let's see. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we go, yeah, but that's, you don't understand. It's different. This is a tough situation. This is a big sin. This is a real problem. I've struggled with this from my youth up. It's a bad boy. It's a rough one. Yeah, I know. Wait a second. What's, what's he say? Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen. And you say, yeah, I know. I know what the Bible says. I get it. Okay, if you w- walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I've heard it a million times, preacher, but you just don't. That's the problem right there. See, it's not what the Bible says that matters then to you. You want to know what's happened? Can I explain what happened? Can I even demonstrate what happened? Can I illustrate what's happened? Please let me. Thank you. Okay, so what we have here then is we have fact again. We have the facts again. Watch this now. Don't miss it because it's very important you understand this. We have the facts. You know what the facts are? If you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Fact. You know what else? You have your faith. And then you have your feelings. So we got these facts over here, right? Boom! Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But then you say, by faith, I'm going to either follow the facts, or, or what? I'm going to turn and follow my feelings. That's what's wrong, and that's why we're not getting victory of our sin. Either one of two things is true anytime we're failing in our Christian lives. Well, three things. One, we may be ignorant to, to the solutions. Two, we may not even want the solution. And three, we're just something. I don't know anymore. I've lost track. But anyway, the fact is, is that the facts are facts. And you know what? You're either going to follow the facts in your Christian life or you're going to follow the feelings. And when a person says to me, you just don't understand, I know right away we've just deviated and and changed the direction of the conversation from what the Word of God says to how they feel. That's what's happened. Can I tell you that our culture and our world is raising a generation and has raised generations before us, including mine, to believe that feelings are what determine your happiness? If you're only feel, you gotta feel it, man. I mean, whether it's whether it's a relationship, you gotta feel love. You gotta fall in it, baby. But then all of a sudden, guess what? You can fall out of it. I mean, we base whether or not our marriage should continue on whether or not we feel like we love someone now. Wait a second. Did you make a commitment to them? Did you promise something to them? Did you say something before God and make a commitment to a person? Yes, I did. Well, then where in the world did the feeling come in? You made that out of love, right? And love biblically and scripturally has nothing to do with how you feel right now. It has everything to do with facts. And the truth is we function and we operate in the feelings of ourselves constantly. And we allow our feelings to dictate and determine what truth is now from the word of God. And we say things like, I can't get victory over sin. You just don't understand. What I don't understand is this. Why we keep going back to our feelings to determine what God says and what he means and what can be and what will be if we just follow fact by faith. We got, I mean, we've got to follow our faith, follow our facts through our faith. That's the key to everything. So the truth is still here, and he draws it. I mean, he brings it down to this level and says, listen, I gave you the Spirit of God. You literally have God living inside of you. 
And when it comes to dealing with sin, you're going to have to let him have control of your life. You're going to have to yield your spirit, your soul, your body, every aspect of your life to the spirit of God. If you don't lend yourself to his leadership, if you don't allow him to have preeminence, if you choose to just go ahead and disregard him, then friend, you're going to struggle with your sin. But if you'll yield yourself, you'll have victory because if you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what he says. It's funny how he turns around right then and not too long after he, uh, he, he, he begins to share this aspect of, um, you know, this, I don't know, uh, he compares the spirit and the flesh or the flesh and the spirit then, the outworking of each. And, and he says basically that these are contrary one to another in verse 17. They, they are totally opposites. They, they are incongruent. They don't match up. They're not the same in the least bit. And then he, he, he defines or describes the works of the flesh. Look, if you will, there in Galatians again, verse 19 through 20. Just look at this here, and, and, and we'll, we'll get through this. Chapter uh, 5, notice verses 19 through 21. He says, now, he, uh, excuse me, yeah, he says, now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? How does this flesh look? How does it appear on the outside? How do I describe what the flesh looks like in life today? Well, he says, here's how you do it. He, again, he, he simply says, now the works of the flesh are manifest. They're manifest. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, and such like, and such like. Go ahead, look in the Word of God sometime and consider other aspects of sin, things that are named and things that are focused on. Go ahead, I mean, talk about bitterness and unforgiveness and all of these aspects as well. You could drop them right on in there because that is evidence. That's the flesh being manifest. That's what he's saying. And it's interesting to note as we move along here, he makes a statement here. He goes on to say this, which is very interesting. He says, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Understand that in the context of this passage, he's explaining and relating to us how the flesh looks like. He's talking to us about what the natural man responds like. He's, listen, the Christian is not that person anymore, should not be that person anymore. Matter of fact, the person in the the word of God, according to Corinthians, you thought he was going to fall there, didn't you? But anyway, the in the word of God, the truth is, is that, is that the Bible says such were some of you. So God doesn't even see us that way. But I'm going to tell you what, these are characteristic. These are manifestations of the flesh. This is how an unsaved person thinks, feels, and moves and operates within the heart, their deepest recesses. The child of God is not so. The child of God has the spirit of God living in them. The child of God has been regenerated. The child of God is a new creature in Christ. And notice how that is should be the fruit of that spirit is. If you take the fruit of the spirit now, what's the manifestation of the spirit now? What evidence will we see of the spirit? How can we, will we know someone is walking in the spirit versus the flesh now? We see that in Galatians 5.22. It says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. 
I mean, this is the fruit of the Spirit. If we are in the Spirit of God, these are the characteristics and qualities that will be evident in our life. What a, what a contrast. What a difference. An amazing difference. So only by walking in the Spirit can we overcome the flesh. That's all there is to it. You say, what do you mean? Well, to walk in the Spirit is to yield to His control. It means choosing to consistently follow the Holy Spirit's promptings in our lives. It means not following the flesh. It means choosing Christ and choosing his word and choosing the Holy Spirit and choosing his leadership in our life. You know, the sad part is, is that many of us forget sometimes that the Holy Spirit's a person. You know, he's living in us. The Bible tells us that. You say, I don't feel like he is. It doesn't matter how you feel. Remember, the facts are he lives in you. Now, your faith needs to keep its eye on the facts and not on the feelings. And so the Spirit of God lives in you. God himself lives in you. And you say, I don't, have, I don't get any victory over sin, and, and I'm struggling in my life. Yeah, I get that. I understand that. Why is that the case, then, according to the Word of God? Is it because you're so different than everyone else? Is it because, in your case, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you? Is it because God somehow left you out when he passed out the Holy Spirit? Is it because when you got regenerated, he didn't indwell you with his presence? No, absolutely not. This truth is true for every believer. This is true for every case. It's the same for everyone. Fact is... If we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what is the problem if we're struggling with sin in our life and not getting victory over it, if it continues to haunt us, if it continues to to, to harm us, if it continues to bring us down, if we can't ever get victory over any sin in our life, it just seems like sin has a a hold on me and I I can't shake it ever. What's obvious then? You're not walking in the Spirit. I'm not walking in the Spirit, if that's the case. I mean, that's as simple as it is. It's not complicated here. And we're trying, we make it so complicated. What do we do? We look back at our feelings and we start to go, you don't understand how I was raised. And you don't understand the environment I'm in. And you don't know the kind of obstacles I face. And you don't know how my boss at work treats me. And you don't know how my husband acts. And you don't know how my wife lives. And you don't know how... I uh, you know, right there we go. It's, it's all about this. What about... Him. He lives in you. If we're not walking in the Spirit, my friend, I can promise you that the flesh will have control of us because it's either one or the other. That's what he says. He makes the contrast. And he says, listen, if you're struggling with sin, guess what? It's because you're allowing the flesh to rule you. If you want victory over sin, you're going to have to walk in the Spirit. You're going to have to give control to that spirit. You're going to have to give control to the one that lives in you. You're going to have to yield to him and to the word of God and to the the principles of truth. You've got to follow the facts and not the feelings anymore. And we forget that the Holy Spirit's a person. So you know what? If we're not careful, boy, I'll tell you what, we can resist him. And he he doesn't particularly care for that. Matter of fact, lost people resist the Holy Spirit all the time. They resist him. Why isn't that person getting saved? I mean, the word of God was so plainly exposed and expounded. How come they're not getting saved? I'll tell you why. Because in many cases, they're resisting the Holy Spirit. 
Over there in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 51, Stephen makes an indictment on the Sanhedrin. And he makes the same, he says, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. You always resist the Holy Ghost. He's talking to those unsaved Jews there. He says, you're resisting the Holy Ghost. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. That's the problem. That's why you won't recognize Christ. That's why you won't exalt the name of Jesus. That's why you won't believe in the resurrected Christ. Because you resist the Holy Spirit. But as an individual believer, you and I can grieve the Holy Spirit too. We can grieve Him. Paul warned the Ephesians to let no corrupt communication come out of their mouths. And then he says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You have that seal. He's the seal. Therefore, yes, indeed, he does abide in us. Yes, indeed, he does dwell in us. He does take up permanent residency in us. And he says, you grieve. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. That word grieves an interesting word. Do you realize that, um, that to grieve someone, they, if you want to grieve someone, they have to, they have to have feelings towards you. They have to love you. You know, it, it's a love word. Then grieve is. It, it's one of those words that that says somebody cares. And, and I can only grieve somebody that cares. I can only grieve somebody that loves me. Because if I didn't, I would simply annoy them. I would infuriate them. I may disgust them. But I would not grieve them. Boy, we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. He says to the, to the, to the lost Jew there at the Sanhedrin, he says, listen, do not, you, you resist the Holy Ghost. You resist the Holy Spirit of God. And he says to believers, listen, believers, do not, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, the one that lives in you. See, he's a person. He has feelings. He's as much God as Jesus. He's as much God as God the Father. And finally, to the church and to the believer himself, he says, you can quench the Holy Spirit of God. You can quench him. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he says to the church at Thessalonica, quench not the Spirit. And what he's basically saying is, stop putting the fire out. Instead, get fired up, live fired up. I mean, stay fired up for God. Don't put out the fire by shutting your ears to the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. Don't shut his conviction down. Don't shut his wooing down. Don't resist his promptings. No, don't do that. We've all known churches. They were on fire for God at some point. You've read about them or you've heard about them. Maybe you're a part of one. Souls are being saved. Lives are being blessed. Then all of a sudden, something like false doctrine may have taken root or possibly squabbles broke out. Jealousy reared its ugly head. Sin and compromise seemed to flourish in the ministry and the spirit was quenched. And the Holy Spirit simply went, see ya, I'm out. And for a while, the usual machinery kept things going. But simply put, God's Spirit wasn't there anymore. And if you would, we could say, utilizing a term of the Old Testament, 
we could label that church Ichabod. The glory is departed. May God help us not to cause Ichabod to be written over our hearts. May we not grieve the Holy Spirit of God today. But instead walk in the Spirit. Allowing yourself to be fully controlled by the Spirit of God. How many of us don't, don't know really what's right and wrong? We know. And you know how the work of the Spirit is in your life. You, you start stepping out, and again, not that if you've gotten so far, sometimes you can get so cold and, and so seared to truth that you just... But I'm telling you, usually anybody that's still here on a Wednesday night, man, you, you, you know how it is in our lives. We start to step out. We start to go another direction, and what happens? Man, the Spirit of God goes, mm. and we go, you know how it goes, right? I mean, just, mm. you feel him. You know. The question is, are you going to obey him, or are you going to follow through with the flesh? Are you going to walk in the Spirit? Or are you going to fulfill the lust of the flesh? Are you going to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by saying, I don't want to hear that now. I want to fulfill my own lust. I want to go my own direction. I want to do my own thing. Or are you going to say, no, I know where you're going with that one, Lord. I know, I know that I ought not to be doing that. I know I shouldn't be going that direction. And I know I should be yielding in this area. And you know what? We need to follow his leadership. Someone says, how's one filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, let's just, for tonight, just to keep it real simple because of time, let me just say this. If sin is what grieves the Spirit and hinders His filling, then obedience to God is how the filling of the Spirit is maintained. If you're walking in rebellion or disobedience and it's, it's open sin in your life, you know for a fact it's not what belongs in your life, then you're grieving the Holy Spirit. There's no way you're filled. There has to be obedience in our life. And don't throw your hands in the air and go, oh, fine, I just can't do it then. Come on, wait, stop. Fact. If you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You have every opportunity, just like I do, to yield to the Spirit and not the flesh. Stop giving in to that flesh. And here's the thing. Don't forget, like we talked about in the message the other day, That treasure that's buried in that field, the Lord Jesus Christ, is so much more valuable than anything you can find on your own. It's funny, I've been talking to some people lately. I talked to a brother, and I've got to close this down because of time, but Brother Chapman, I talked to him the other day. Let me tell you what we talked about. I said to him, I said, boy, I was encouraged by the testimonies of those men and women that have been, been saved in your ministry lately. And he said, man, I t-, he said, here's what he said. Watch this now. He said, you know, it is exciting, but it's, it's difficult at times. I said, what do you mean? He goes, they are so fired up. They're so motivated. They come to me with these crazy ideas of how to get the gospel out and things to do. And I think to myself, that's never going to work. But he goes, you know what? I let them do that. And we... And they plan it all, they prepare it all, and they perform it all. They do it all. I don't have to do anything. Wow, I thought. 
And here's what he said. He said, it's interesting. He said, the first church that we had up there in that Dublin area, the one that we talked about earlier, that kind of dissipated and ultimately fell apart, and then we've been rebuilding now, the first one was made up of a bunch of young people that were out of Christian homes. And their families have been in church for years. He goes, the biggest battle we had with them is that they all wanted to retreat to the world. They all wanted to go out into the world. And they didn't want to do nothing in a sense. They, they would follow the rules, they would go through the motions, but in their heart they always were moving toward the world. They wanted the world. He goes, these guys, you want to know what the difference with these guys is? They want nothing to do with the world now. They've been there. They want nothing to do with the world. And they're trying to get as far away from it as they can. Do you want to know why we struggle with yielding to the Spirit? Because we haven't learned what those new believers in Australia figured out. That this world has nothing, this flesh has nothing that satisfies. We're like those spoiled little brat Christian boys and girls. We, I'm talking about us. And if we're not careful, we think that world's got something we're missing out on. And as a result of that, we long for what we feel we're not allowed to have, but what we want anyway. And so here's what happens. We don't fully yield to the Spirit because we know that it'll mean giving that up. And then we stand in the middle somewhere and we wonder why there's no joy in our life, why we're struggling with fulfillment, no real satisfaction in Christ because we're not really given wholeheartedly to Christ. But then again, we're not given wholeheartedly to the world and we're torn in the middle and all we have is conflict in our life. Listen. This I say then. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for your love and grace in our lives. And